Hello, and welcome to 92,000 Hours, the podcast where we acknowledge that we spend more of our waking hours working than doing anything else in our lives. We want to help ensure that we spend those hours intentionally, that they are spent well rather than simply spent. Today, we are speaking with Nicole Palmer. Nicole is the principal of Rose Park Elementary, a Title I school in Salt Lake City, Utah. Nicole has found herself in the local news for actions she has taken to support students in her school, from establishing a grump meter years ago to help kids and adults better understand and manage their emotions, to hanging country of origin flags, pride flags, and Black Lives Matter flags. Nicole has and continues to work hard to be a colleague, a leader, a teacher, a friend, a mom, and an ally. Her pronouns are she, her, and hers. And today, we are talking with her about community. So I'm going to start you off with my big question that I ask every single person as our way to like drill down and open, like start with who you really are. So it's the big question I love. Take away all things work, school, community, volunteerism, uh, church-related stuff, sports-related stuff, research-related stuff, all the stuff that you do. You can't count, you can't count that. What are you most proud of about yourself as a human? <laughs> oh dear. You know, I have to start with the hardest question. Yeah. So I'm really happy you gave me the questions and uh, that I had a little time to think about that. Primarily because it's really hard for me to separate. I'm sure it's hard for everybody, but it's incredibly difficult for me to separate what I do from who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after giving it a little bit of thought, I, I have two. One, um, who I was and am as a mother. And I won't go into that because I certainly was far from perfect. And I have some, you know, regrets about a few things. But I wanted to be a mom. I loved being a mom. I still love being a mom. And I, I just, that was one. So, but the other one I'm most proud of about me as a human is that just before I turned, well, that's not even true. My whole life I've been a learner and more importantly, um, reflecting on me and who I am and the person I wanted to become, um, not in terms of a job or a house or a career, but the person, the person, you know, what are my values? What, um, do I hold sacred? How do I want to be in relationship to other people in the world? So that this sounds so cheesy, like, like the world can be a better place, right? Like I feel this sense of responsibility to get out of my own way so that I can be available both to myself and to the world, you know, it's like, yeah, so I've done, I've done my work and I continue to do my work and I'll do my work the rest of my life. And I'm very grateful. I'm thrilled with who I've become, um, especially from where I started. And I also know deeply to my core that it never ends. And that also kind of thrills me because I trust the process. The first three times, the first few times through that process, you know, the dark night of the soul and the, the deep reflection and the what, 
you know, who sold me that bill of goods and why did I embrace it and make it part of my life and, you know, fleshing out what's mine to keep and what I want to let go of and how I want to be in the world. Those can be some pretty dark days. And, you know, I've just learned over the years that there's always a dark night of the soul. There's always, it's a process. It's, it's kind of cyclical. There's ups and downs, but it's, it's the only way to go, you know, doing the work is the only way to go. Oh my gosh. I love all of that so much. And I love that even at the beginning, when you said like, this might sound cheesy and this part of me, like this podcast is here for us to walk into what sounds cheesy because Mm -hmm. really like, let's just own that joy or that passion, or let's get to feel all the feels about it because it's real. (laughs) It is so real, you know? Yeah. It's so real. And it, even as I'm talking about it, like I can feel in my whole body, kind of warmth and joy and uh, just a really big feeling of love. So it's good. I love it. And I love that you talked also about that. Like in some ways, what I hear you saying is the, what you're proud about of yourself is digging in and like, and going through it and knowing that it's part like this. I was just saying this the other day, like the whole, you know, we're always trying to search for purpose and meaning in our lives. And it might really just be that what you were just talking about, like the journey of understanding. <laughs> I, I, I would agree. I also think the search is really interesting because I've learned it. It's just right there. You don't have to search. You just have to be available. <sighs> That's all. <laughs> I mean, you just have to be available. And because the universe or whatever power you believe in, it's, we'll put it in front of you when there's not a conflict between what you, you know, when you're not ambiguous, when you're unambiguous and you're very clear that at least for me, I can only speak for me when Mm -hmm. I've been, when I have been ambiguous or uncertain, I feel more need to search, but when I'm pretty clear, I don't need to search. It just emerges in front of me. And there's also a piece to that about not getting attached to what it will look like. Right. I mean, a lot of people search for meaning and they've already decided what meaning is or what it's supposed to look like based on Ah. someone else. And they've found meaning or whatever. And so that's a guaranteed disappointment. And you're never going to find that. Like that, I go, I go back to like trusting the process. If you really know you're available to have meaning in your life and to have whatever it is that fills your soul. And there's no conflict about the vibes you're sending out to the universe. It, it will show up. Wow. So you better know that you really want it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're about to have it. That's so good. So tell me about, um, tell me about how that's shown up for you. Like, tell you know, you're like, I'm in a good place. So w- when you've been open what did the universe hand to you? So, so many things. And I, I kind of want to frame this in a book I read a long time ago. It's called Presence. And it was written by Otto Scharmer and um, Peter Senge. I don't know. If, and two other authors. There's four authors. And really the premise of the book is just, um, you know, there's a future that is emerging and, And if you just know that and you're doing your, I mean, I'm probably doing a bad job of summarizing the book. I mean, I've read it so many times, but basically there is a future trying to emerge and you don't need to force that. And the job is to be available for that and then just 
go along for the ride because it's going to show up and be there. And I, you know, I guess my biggest example of that is, is Rose Park Elementary, you know, I mean, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. And, you know, I'm so proud of what we've accomplished at the school and the people who were there and it's taken 10 years, you know, and it just, whenever I get in a space where it's like, I got to control this and I got to fix this and I've got to do this, I get angsty. And, and then I know I'm not in the right source. My Genesis energy is bad and I need to switch that or it's not productive to that space where it's like, I'm there, I'm available, I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm noticing, and then it somehow just collides with the vision. And and I'm trying to think of a working example for you. Um, it's like the alchemist. It's all happening for you. Yes, like that. yes. <laughs> and, <clears throat> like, and I don't want anybody listening at all to think like, oh, it's just magical and golden every moment because one thing I learned from my therapist many years ago is you can't steal it, right? I remember one day I was talking about wanting something and not a thing, wanting um, a certain, like a feeling, a, a feeling or whatever. And he's like, well, you can't steal it. Meaning, you know, you got to do the work to earn that. And I feel that way about all of this. And um, yeah, I would say like from, from one, one really good example is, is, we've made a decision to intentionally diversify our workforce so that our kids are seeing people who look like them. Um, because, you know, in public education, the majority of teachers are white females, you know, so we're working on that. And I'm proud to say that we have um, members of the LGBTQ community in our workforce in our building at Rose Park. We have people of color. We have many bilingual people. Um, we have even one, two, four male teachers, you know, even that is difficult to get in elementary school. Um, and they're all amazing. It's not like we had to settle, uh, you know, and it's just created this space where our kids have an opportunity to see themselves reflected in the people around them and recognize someone who looks like them. You know, there's, there could, we could do more, but I'm really excited about where we are right now. I love that so much. So I, you have agreed with me that the, it would be interesting to have our subject matter be about community. And I'm Mm -hmm. really interested in specifically that that's the word that I thought of when I was thinking about interviewing you. And, um, I think that I would just love to hear you explain to our listeners who are some from Utah, some from around the country and the world. Tell me about your, I don't think we can get there without you telling me about your work community. Who are they? Why does it matter to you? Talk to me about these people and this community that you're in. Okay. Well, so just for a little background, um, Rose Park Elementary is located in Rose Park, uh, close to North Salt Lake. Um, it's a title one school. We are, uh, have about 90% of our kids on free and reduced lunch. And we have a lot of diversity in our school, um, in terms of where kids are from, where their families are from countries of origin. Um, and shoot, I lost my train of thought anyway. Oh, and this is my 11th year there as a principal. So one of the, my gifts is that 
Rose Park is the school I was meant to be at and I knew it. I, I knew it back in the day before I got the job and I knew it when I was offered the job. And so that feels great from the get-go, right? Like it's like, this is my place and my space. And um, it's been many years to build the community that is currently our school community. So tell me more about what specifically what you want to know about. I'm really interested my because, people. yeah, I, so here's the story that I'm okay. telling myself about you, which is, so I knew you before you were a principal Yeah. and, um, but watching from afar, because I don't hang out with you during the, like, I don't know what your life is like, but from afar, I see, I feel like after you became the principal at Rose Park, you began to like really thrive from yes. me sitting back here. I'm like, wow, watch her just like you are blooming. And, um, and I like your happiness and I don't even, it doesn't feel like, um, it doesn't feel like, you know, like gregarious, everybody look at me on social media, kind of happy. It feels like, like that soul stuff that you were talking. Mm -hmm. I, I'm like, wow, her soul is, is centered. Like she's good. And it feels like it's, it, um, like that warmth you were talking about before is like coming out around you. And I, I've had this opportunity to, like, I sometimes see you show up in the news. I see other things. And I also see you say, I get the opportunity to, to work with, be with the greatest people in the world. And, and yes. I know that those are your students. So I, I specifically want to hear from you. Tell me about these kids that you get to work with. They are the best. I mean, Annalisa, I'm just getting excited. So one of the things that um, I'm closing my eyes to think about it. One of the things that makes, makes this my job is that I have the gift of loving, of being able to love other people's children, probably as much as mine. And I don't think that, I think that was just given to me that I just came that way. And, uh, uh, I'm going to get emotional every morning when those little people come to school. I mean, they're perfect. They're brilliant. They're, I mean, like kid, they're just such gifts and that, you know, they're funny, they're annoying, they're <laughs> loving, they're, you know, nutty sometimes. And, you know, my, my dream and my goal was to create a space where every child that walks through that door, they don't have to leave anything outside. No part of their identity has to stay outside the building to be welcome at Rose Park. They, and, and, you know, are we 100% there? No, probably not. But the people, my, the adults in the building are the people that, that we've chosen as a school over the years who feel the same way, who are like, you're, you're just a perfect little human. You're a gift to the world. And it always is so hard when there's a, you know, a student has a family or the world doesn't see those people the way that we see those people with all that potential. And, and so, yeah, I get to see them every day. And a lot of our students are little siblings of kids I had when I started there. Mm -hmm. A lot of them weren't even conceived or born. <laughs> so I've had like the, just the absolute pleasure of knowing multiple families for all these years. 
you know, seeing those little ones born, grow up and start school at Rose Park and lucky me, right? Lucky me. And, you know, even the new ones, they're just like, gosh, they come and we're just looking for them to thrive at school. You know, we just, we want that to be the case so that we're all, all the adults in the building are dedicated to making that happen for the kids, whatever that looks like. And it looks different for every, every student. I love that. Tell me about, um, like who, of course I told you this, that I, I I do this all the time when I'm getting ready for my podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to Google building community. Cause we're going to talk about community building and literally all of the stuff that comes up when you write that without anything after is about building community in the classroom, how to build community in the classroom, classroom, community building. And I was like, what is, so why the big focus on building community in a classroom? Like, talk to me about that as a, as an educator and what that, why is that so important? So I am not a researcher. I just have my like lived experience. Right. Um, And I, I think it's really out there right now it's very it's like you said there's a zillion articles about building community in the classroom and where I believe that it came from is recognizing over the years that school um, often is the source of trauma for students I mean so the first for many years we have been working to become you know for lack of a better word a trauma-informed school in uh attitude, behavior, practice, all that kind of stuff. Um, We've been working since my second year there on helping students identify uh, their feelings and emotions and work with those way before social emotional learning and restorative practices were a thing. I mean, they were a thing. We started those way before they were in the news and they were popular. And now they're like here and they're big and we have nine years of work under our belt, you know, building each year. So I'm giving this answer from from that lived experience, uh, it's, it's, it's hopefully because we've realized that if a, if a student or a kiddo is at school and they do not feel a sense of community, meaning I belong here, I'm wanted here, I'm valued here, that student isn't going to learn. I mean, you, you know, there's a lot of brain research out there and not just learn, they're not going to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my teachers do an excellent job of building community. And it's hard for me to use community separate from family. Each little classroom is like a family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're safe spaces for the kids to be. If we find out that a student isn't feeling safe at school, we are on it. What is that about? You know, what can we do to help that student? So for me, classroom community is just about creating spaces where kids can thrive at school. But you can't, you know, what I will say is I have teachers in my building who have worked in other buildings and other places, and they have built classroom community, and others in the building didn't. And their leader building leader wasn't about building community. So it was a really isolated little space. And there wasn't like support outside of the classroom, or maybe there were only a few teachers in the building. And in our building, it is the, you know, like our school is a community, our our faculty and staff are, you know, we work to be a community so that it's just kind of, it's the norm in the building. So I I just, it's, it's just what it should be. Those days of kids sitting straight in rows and doing, raising their hands and, 
everybody doing the very same thing and being asked to lose your identity or quite frankly, you know, not even encouraged to find your identity though. I think I'm hoping those days are gone. When you talk about that, I mean, so I know a couple of things come up and I want to ask you about both of them. You talked about doing the, like you were doing social emotional learning before it was a thing. And I, I saw this lovely um, news uh, interview of yours from years ago, I think where it was, you were in the news for having created um, an opportunity for children to own how they feel. Yes. Can you talk about that? Do you still do it? Well, first explain what it is and then talk about like how, if it has evolved or not over the course of the years. Yeah, I totally will. So it's been a long time, but, and I don't remember which year it was. I think it was for the end of my first year of being a principal. Uh, one of my colleagues at the time, Christelle Estrada, introduced me to a lovely human being, Janet Kaufman. I have to give her a huge shout out, who was then a professor at the University of Utah. And Janet and her mother, who is a uh, worked in residential treatments, she's a doctor, psychiatrist, whatever, um, in another state had, they had created, they had created the grump meter, grump meter, uh, which people have seen versions of this around, but it's basically like, um, using colors to, um, identify your feelings. So at the bottom of the gear is blue, calm. Then you go to grumpy green, then, um, what's yellow caution. Yeah, I think that's caution, right. then danger, then explode. I should know it's only been 10 years. And so Christelle hooked me up with Janet and Janet had written for some kind of a grant um, to work in schools with teachers and an administrator to implement using the grunt meter. And the bare, the bare essence of that is what color are you on? And what were your triggers to get there? And how can you get down to calm blue? I mean, it, it goes way beyond that, but that's basically what it is. And that has, yes, they're still hanging all over our building. People use them in different ways. One of the biggest ahas that first year, we had like nine teachers at the time who, because they got paid a stipend, they wanted to participate in using this tool in their um, classroom. That I remember, and we would meet monthly to talk about it. And I can remember one of my fourth grade teachers or maybe fifth grade, she moved, I can't remember what she was teaching at the time. We were talking about how the first few months had gone and she's like, this tool has changed me as a teacher because I recognize when I now know how to recognize when I'm going up the grunt meter and take responsibility for my emotions and feelings as an educator. And I'm seeing the impact of not doing that in the classroom versus me doing that. And she gave this example of, she, she, she said, I don't like, I like, I need my space bubble. Like I, I, She's, she's not a hugger. She's not mm-hmm. a teacher that's a hugger, very kind and warm teacher, but not a hugger. And, you know, and she said, I remember one day just recently, this was after starting with the grunt meter, but before this meeting, she had asked the kids to turn in something they had been working on and they all came at her at one time or many of them. And they started to like get in her personal space. And she was sharing with us. She's like, I immediately went up to yellow, high yellow on the grunt meter. And I was able to say, Hey, everybody, I'm going up the grunt meter because you all are close and that's difficult for me. Can you just take a few steps away? 
going, you know, and, and shared that story with the kids and they're like, oh, sure, sure. And they, you know, backed up. And what's so cool about that is play out the other scenario, which would have been, she gets immediately really grumpy and stressed and her body language changes. The tone of her voice changes. She might be like, you know, say something that in a tone that, or even something that communicated that she was frustrated. And you know what kids do? They think that's them, right? So they're like, what did we do wrong to our teacher versus a teacher saying, this is my trigger and it has nothing to do with you. This is what I need from you. Right. And just think about the safer space that is, you know, because little kids, I don't care, all kids, we all do it. We see someone upset and we assume it's us. And, and for especially little kids, their teachers grumpy. It's like, oh, she doesn't like me. She doesn't want me. He doesn't understand, you know, where if a teacher can just be like, I have a headache today, everybody. I'm, I'm kind of on green. I'm, I've taken some, you know, Tylenol, but if I'm, if I'm not my usual self, that's why. Oh, wow. How is Changes that? Everything. I think that's everything. amazing. We kind of need the grump meter at any, every workplace. Right, Adults right. are just like that. I, I have that, like in my own you? workplace where, where I'm like, it's probably not about me. They're probably having a bad day, but I have to get out of my own way. <laughs> and think about like, this is also part of my vision and my work is like, think about how different the world would be if adults took responsibility and accountability for their own selves and their own triggers, learning what they are, knowing when they're triggered and taking responsibility for it. Because what, what we do when we don't do that is like you talked about with Brene, we blame, we put it out there, we become a victim and it just like, it just doesn't work. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of pain and suffering because of that. Right. I don't know. I just, it just seems so simple, hard to do. And I just want to share one more just funny story about the grunt meter from years ago. I have, I have a teacher, a male teacher. I still have him and we, you know, I adore him. But at the time we got the grunt meter, he's like, this is stupid. Like I, <laughs> I am not, I'm not using it. I'm not part, you know, whatever. I was like, fine, that's fine. And this was a couple of years of that. And I will never forget the day something happened in class. I actually know what it was, but I won't share that. It's too personal, but something, something happened in class to trigger him. And he left the classroom. He you know, said to his colleague across the hall, watch my kids. And he came down to the office and he's just like this. And he opened the door and he goes, I am on red on the grump meter. <laughs> and like, he used it. And I seriously, I kind of started laughing. I was like, hmm, funny. <laughs> and then I was like, what do you need? And he's like, I need to go for a walk. And I'm like, fine, I'll go cover your class. But like, ultimately it was the way he could say, I need to get out of here and walk around our track a little bit and then I can be okay. So that was kind of funny. I love that so much. I, I watched that video and I'm going to do my best to link it when we put this out somehow, I'm going to link it somehow. Um, and what I probably in social media, but what I really loved also was when I watched that, it talked about from you doing that, like the, the, just the switch in allowing students to, and these kids and maybe the adults too, to like really just own their feelings and having it be okay. Like that reframing that you did, you talk about instead of them being sent to detention because they had emotions that got big, that you honored that you get to have emotions that get big 
And instead of being in trouble for it, you can go to the wellness room or something like, yeah, you can be well. And I was like, oh my gosh, that changes everything. And you know, what's so cool is we introduced the wellness center, um, had it for a few years, but it's so institutionalized now in our building. And I hate that word. Sorry. It's so normed in our building right now that we don't even need the wellness center. Teachers have calming spaces in their own classes. Teachers know how to say, like, we have one particular kid who he, he has big emotions on the regular. And he also doesn't, he doesn't like to sit in the calming space in the classroom because he's also really mindful that other people might be watching him, even though it's completely normed in the classroom, it's okay to go to the calming corner. There's no, there's no shame. There's no judgment because it's so normalized. This friend still worries about that. And so his teacher found him a spot out in the pod where he can go, right? Like we're good at being like, Hey, we're not going to make one, one thing never works for everybody. Right. So this little friend needed his own little space and that's where he goes. And then (laughs) he'll come back and he'll like, I'm reset. And then he just starts Uh again. Like, it's fantastic. You know what I mean? To to really help kids with that. And, I, and I'm, you know, COVID has been a setback for what I'm about to say, because kids were 18 months without being in a building or not quite 18 months. I guess we were about a year, but you know, it, it was a setback in terms of kids understanding uh, safe and appropriate behavior in school. We're, at, we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to like, kind of remind them of what that is. And for the little ones who didn't know, we're trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I, I never saw kids in the office. I mean, our kids that have been with us for so long are, they're good at it. They're, it's like, oh, our, our fights are, you know, like I said, the first graders right now are a little, they're, they're struggling, but we're <laughs> figuring that out. But like, that's another thing. And I don't, this is all kind of all over the place, but one of the most destructive things we can do to another person, in my opinion, is try, and, and I'm talking about kids right now, or even adults in my building, in our building, it's our building, it's not my building. I, I love it so much to call my building. But anyway, <laughs> um, is if you, if a person is, you know, basically yellow to red, that is not the time to talk to them. That is not the time to talk about a consequence or what happened or why it's happened. Sometimes the kids who are on red when they do something or kick somewhere, they don't even remember, you know, that's also in brain research is a lot of times you don't even remember, but the whole point is like now, and I just had this, this week, I had two little first graders get in a fight at recess and they're both so scared of getting in trouble and they're both in the office. And I walked in and I was like, you know, student over here, what color are you on in the grunt meter? Red. What color are you on the grunt meter? Orange. I was like, okay take some time, breathe. I'll check back with you in a few minutes and see what color you're on. No one's in, it's not, no one's in trouble. You just need, and one kid's like, can I go play with the sand? Cause you know, kinetic sand is magical. And I was like, sure. Does <laughs> he know? And he goes in there and just like plays with it till. And then when they were like, we're ready to talk now. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, I mean, then turned out it was just a misunderstanding. And they said, sorry to each other. and went back to class. Very different than you got in a fight. You're going to, you know, blah, 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 just a completely different approach. Cause, and, and another piece to this too, and this is maybe the biggest piece is I have good parents, but I grew up in a home where I did not have an adult who was emotionally available to me. And I learned like most, many of us did 
not to be too happy, not to be too angry. Certainly don't be sad. Like, don't let any of that out. There was a lot of shame handed to me when I had emotions. And I absolutely can't stand that for a student. There is no shame in feeling sad or angry or frustrated or jealous or embarrassed. None at all. Right. So this is this is part of using the grunt meter. Any way you talk about uh, emotion is that they are just a part of being human. And the what you can't do is hurt yourself or someone else or damage expensive property. Right. Like those are kind of those are the kind of things. Right. So. But you can be mad. You can be so mad that you want to throw a desk. Sure. You just can't throw the desk. And you have to be able to go, I'm so mad. I want to throw a desk. I need to walk away from the situation and find a quiet, calm place because, because, you know, I'm having this emotion, not I'm so stupid or horrible. I shouldn't be having this emotion. I love that so much. It reminds me of, I remember years ago, I went to the sharing place and did some work there to like make the place look better. And it's for kids who have had a close family member pass away. And they had this, they had a room that's called like the emotion room. And it has, it's like padded the whole entire room. And, and it has things that you can like hit with and you can throw and you can, you know, kick the walls. It like, it's, it's just like, you can have any emotion you want in this room. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. Right. Yeah. And I love that you have a padded room, right? In some ways, like we, we allow as a society ourselves to have big emotions that we, we can feel comfortable with big emotions when it comes to something like that, but it should be okay for us to have big emotions all the time. Like, I love that you honored that about your, what you learned from your childhood, childhood, because we say this about our kids, right? Like, I just want them to be happy, but they're not going to actually really be able to feel really feel happiness and joy unless they're also feeling anger and sadness and like Mm -hmm. let them all be (laughs) so they know how to feel right (laughs) right I mean and you um you it's it's I wish it was just kids who I mean all kids need that to grow up to be the adults that that have that right yeah uh, us adults we've got to do our work yeah we've got to we've got to realize I mean there were years I didn't feel anything Because like you said, because if you, if you aren't allowed to show anger or be angry, even go to your room and be angry or whatever, uh, um, you're not, you don't get the joy of feeling happy there. It's just a balance. You got to open it all up and feel it all or feel very little at all. Yeah, exactly. I think that's so important. If you'd like to learn more about Nicole's activism in support of young people, we will post links to her efforts and news reports on our social media. You can find us at Connection Collaborative on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For now, let's get back to the interview. So you also mentioned at the beginning about your school community and how important it was to make sure that everyone felt as though they belonged. 
And I know that you also have done a lot of work in terms of that belonging. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. I've seen you, um, I've seen you on the news. I've seen you talk about the work that you've done with um, making sure that students see themselves there and that they know that they're honored. So can you talk about what you've done in an elementary school um, to do that work? Most, you wanna mostly talk about the kids versus the adults? I think both, but mostly the kids, like talk to me about that. Um, what have I done? Well, well you've done all the flags. Yeah, well, we could start with the flags. Okay, and uh, let's talk about the flags for a minute um, because I think it's important. And I think it's also really important to talk about uh, being a performative ally means nothing. And many, you know, you know, for, for people Snaps. of color and the LGBTQ community and differently abled persons. And, you know, I read a lot. I listen to a lot of, po you know, podcasts and I took a bunch of like workshops over COVID, you know, hosted by people of color, LGBTQ people. And, and it was already my passion and, and my goal to embody and like actually do and not just say and hang a flag. And so one of the criticisms that was made is like, you can't, you can't just hang a flag. You know, that doesn't mean that you're an accomplice in the work. It's very performative to hang a flag. Well, yeah, it definitely can be very performative. You know, if you hang a flag, but then you don't examine your own bias and prejudices, which we all have, and you continue to support businesses or do things that harm marginalized communities, then you're, doesn't matter if you have that pride flag hanging on your house because, you know, whatever. The flags in the school we have had for years. In fact, it was, it was our counselor, Robin Rain, who I think first wanted to put up the flags and at the time, and I, I want to give her credit. And she did um, a, like a survey or whatever of the countries of origin from our students at that time and some of our staff, like, you know, and got, and got the flags up in our lobby. And if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, come see it because it's so pretty. And, and um, she's kind of worked on this project throughout the years. Five years ago, five-ish years ago, I, I can't remember. We had our first um, student who came out as openly transgender. And yeah, five or six years ago. And she was in the sixth grade and it was a really, really interesting uh, story. Her mom came to me and said, she is, it's almost Thanksgiving break. When we come back after Thanksgiving break, she's going to be a she. And I was like, you got it. And we like went to work. We got a gender neutral bathroom. I called the faculty together, which I've since learned is kind of a no-no, but it, is, it was kind of our first student. And I knew she would be dressing differently and wearing makeup. And I'm like, I am not going to have this child harmed or called out or criticized. She's going to walk in that door and it's just going to be, there she is. Right. And so at that time I bought the, the original pride flag and I had it added to the flags. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it caused a ripple with some of the people there, then they're not there anymore, <laughs> but nobody said anything and it was just there it hung. And, um, then this last spring, like fast, you know, up to this past spring, when we were out on COVID, uh, we were, I was with a sixth grade teacher and her students, we were on zoom and we were, I don't remember what we were talking about. And one of the students said, can we get a black lives matter 
a flag in our school. And I was like, sure, let's get a Black Lives Matter flag. And for the record, I paid for these out of my own money. These flags were not purchased with any school funds, just so you know. <laughs> so I bought the progressive pride flag, the one that has the trans colors on it and the black and the brown. And I bought a Black Lives Matter flag and they sat at my house for a month or two before I finally took them in and hung them up. And in fact, it, it probably took till last fall for me to take them in and iron them. You know how they're so wrinkly, they look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Hang up. Actually, I hung them up without ironing them, which is since I have corrected, but um, hung them up, took an, a photo and posted it on my Instagram. It was a little video of the flags hanging there. And next thing I know, uh, I have, I, I'm not even going to name his name, but a, a gentleman with a lot of followers who's a very right wing conspiracy theorist kind of guy calling the school. I'm getting all these emails from some of his, well, many of his followers just hate, hate emails. Take those down. You're harming our students. Threats to come and take them, cut them down themselves and pro come around our school and march and protest. And it caught me completely off guard because I didn't know how he got the video. I, I found out later that one of my followers gave it to him and I certainly had her, I blocked her right away. But um, yeah, they just was, was persecution for hanging these flags. And I won't, I'm sure your listeners know all the controversy and around the Black Lives Matter movement. I use political, it's blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and I just said, you know, these flags show everyone that they are welcome here. It's not political. They're not in an elementary school. It's not the purpose. The purpose is so kids of all, everybody says, I belong, I'm here. I see myself somewhere in one of these flags and maybe in more than one way. And this is a safe space for me. Without question, if you see those flags hanging, you can be assured you're in a safe space and that you're going to be treated with all the dignity and respect that anyone else would be. So I will say for the record that I got dozens and dozens of hate emails. And at the same time, I got dozens and dozens of emails from supporters, including former students that had gone to Rose Park, including a lot of folks from the LGBT community who, who said, I, my whole schooling experience would have been so different if that flag would have been flying in my school and what that would have meant to me. And former students that had said, if those flags, I, I mean, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of our school. And what that means to the kids that get to go to school there, you know, both the Black Lives Matter flag and the um, pride flag. And so it's been, you know, I, I wasn't sure when I first got those calls, I was like, did I break a law? Did I break a policy? And I called the district. And that's when that's when the board member and the then interim superintendent, Larry Madden, you know, made a statement. It's like we stand with you and 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 you're fine and you do not need to take those flags down. And they helped draft a wonderful little saying that I put on my email for a while. You know, I, I did the auto message cause I was getting mm -hmm. so many hate emails and the email just said, it's okay. We're, we believe in inclusion and acceptance and we're going to let her keep the flags up, you know? So that was a super, you talk about like, I can't remember what you asked me, but something about, um, I can't remember, but that was, the best moment like that moment it felt so good it felt so good to stand up and just be like yeah 
This is what I'm what doing. School stands for. This is, right. this is what we are doing yeah. here in this building. And it was like, just, just energizing. Now, at first I was terrified <laughs> for the first 35 minutes. I was like, what is happening? But after that, you know, it just it felt good. I'm really interested also in that because I feel like our, especially right now in our society, schools are this lightning rod for political statements. And even that, what you just described, what you described to me sounds like it didn't come from your own school community. The like people that are not the parents or the students of your school. No, it wasn't. It was, you know, it's a group of people that were, you know, doing the, they are the same group of people. I think that organize the show your smile. We're not going to wear masks. I, I don't know. I, I don't know or understand how people live in that much hate and anger all the time. I don't, that doesn't resonate with me. I think it's really sad. And if anyone listening is like, you've got it all wrong. They're not angry and mad. I'm like, yeah, they, they are like to just go from cause to cause to cause and to, to live in that emotional space seems really draining to me. But, um, it wasn't. In fact, our Rose Park community, someone had yard signs made that said, we stand with you, Rose Park Elementary. Aww. The community was there, you know, um, for us. I love this so much. I'm just so like this. I wish you were my principal when I was a little kid. I wish so too. I wish I was my own principal. I don't normally like toot my own horn, but I'm good at my job and I love my job and my job is my calling. So like, you know, there were years where I was like, this is too much a part of who I am. And then I forgave myself for that. I was like, no, this just is who I am. It's funny when I was a kid, my two favorite things to do were, uh, were to, uh, uh, write, direct and star in plays and to play teacher. And I'm like, I have, I have that job now, right? Like, not necessarily the starring in the play part, but there's that organizational piece, that leadership piece, that systems and structure piece, that creativity piece. Um, And I get to be a teacher and a learner. I still am learning and I'm still like, I'm still able to, because we have no substitutes right now. I'm literally a teacher. Uh, My assistant principal and I, along with our coach, you know, we don't have any substitutes for what it's worth. So we are teaching when a teacher is out, we teach. And so I've had a little revival of that part of my career. It's kind of fun. How much have things changed um, having come back after COVID? What is, is there anything different in your school community since that time? Yeah, what we value. Tell me about that. You know, a lot, unfortunately, not enough changed. Like I'll use the example of, you know, we got rid of standardized testing for a year. We, we did all these things during the COVID year and those things are right back. Um, unfortunately. And, but when I talk about what we value, it's like, I, I, I experience, I see, I feel this collective shift. Our, our staff always cared about each other and the kids, but it's even more now, like this idea of you're my neighbor, you're my colleague. I'm here for you. You're here for me, for our kids, for our families. Like, it's like, we really realize that loving kindness is all that really matters. And, you know, the other things are important. It's important how you score in a test, I guess, but what's more important is the person taking that test. And it's more important 
to like just be human with each other than than anything. Like, that commitment is really evident. I love that. That's so good. I hope we can see. I hope that that is happening in other in other industries and in other workplaces. And I fear. I hope so. I fear that it might not be. I hope that we work at it. I do too. And I like. I want to network with. You talk about community outside of school. Well, yeah. I, a, a lot of my community is in, inside my working environment. Like my closest friends are other administrators and teachers I've known for many years or whatever, because I've been in this job for 21 years. It's hard to have, you know, that's where my community has been. And the biggest source of my support by and large has been, you know, I've either met people through my work or they are people that I work with. Um, I would love to be in community with people who don't want to go back to the status quo. I would, I want to be in community with those people across professions, across age range, across gender. I want to be in community with those people and continue to, to imagine the world I want to live in. And I want each of my students to live in and my own children to live in. I want to be in community with those people. Oh, that's lovely. How are you seeking out to, to find those communities in which that's happening? I'm just, I'm taking opportunities to open my mouth about who I am and what I stand for and what I believe in. And then people kind of find me. Well, I just want to make sure that I give you the moment. I love, as you know, I really believe in the power of mentorship, finding people who, and, and one of my friends talked to it about, talked to me about it. Like, mentors, you can also have what he calls your own personal board of directors, like people that you go to, to help you make decisions. And, um, so tell it, is there a story that you have about a mentor or someone that you would just like to say out loud, um, has provided you with that guidance or helped you make decisions that you wanted to tell me a story about? Well, I thought a lot about this. Um, I, I don't have like one mentor that I would give a shout out to. Um, I've had a, a lot of people like that for shorter periods of time. You know, uh, one thing that I want to bring up is I definitely have people on my square squad. Uh, talk about dare to lead Renee Brown shout out first chapter, second chapter. It's like get a little piece of paper, one inch by one inch and list the people on your square squad. Um, and I have people on my square squad and I will, if I can give a name shout out uh, my dear friend, Hannah Delata, Cody Colvin, Deborah Candler. I have a new person on my square squad, Vanessa Job, um, my friend, Becky page. Um I'll focus on my square squad uh, or is that what it's called? Square squad, right? It's not what she calls it. Um, those are just a few of the people and they are always there for me. And um, I hopefully am always there for them. Uh, I thought about this because the word mentor is interesting. It, to me, it's slightly different than people who've supported me because in a mentor, in my mind, a mentor is like older, wiser, guiding your life, you know, and that's great support. I have a ton of support. Um, I most recently have been working with Janice Bradley from UEPC, so much support, both as a friend and a colleague couldn't do my job the way I do it now without her. But what I do want to tell you mentor wise, I I gave this some real thought. I'm like over what has been the consistent mentor for me in my life 
from the get-go. And you know what? It's books. My biggest mentor, mentor in life have been books from the time I was tiny and wanted to learn to read. They have been my guides. They have been my best friends. You know, I've found so much out, so much of who I am, found out so much about myself through books, who I am and who I'm not. Wonderful authors and people who inspire me. And sometimes just a simple story that means the world to me. Oh, I love it. I love that so much because we can learn. I love that you've talked about books because I think that's right. And, and isn't it true in so many ways that some of the wisest people around us are also the people who are avid readers. Well, like right now I'm reading this braiding sweetgrass. I don't know if anyone's read it. It's, Oh, I mean, just the author is Robin Wall. Kimmerer, I guess. And I, it was recommended to me by, um, I took an indigenous studies course at the U this summer by one of the facilitators of that. And I mean, it is, that's my guide right now is the stuff that's coming off those pages. I love it. I love how much that you're working on and how, um, how it's, it just feels like, right. It just feels like all well and safe and good. And, um, even when it's scary, it still feels well and safe and good. Yeah. And even like, I, I, I mean, the world isn't safe and good and well, so that's, that's an interesting um, conflict to be in all of the time is to know that it's really messed up and that there are, I mean, I just read that some that kids are little girls are being sold in Afghanistan. So their families can have food. Some families sold their five-year-old to a 55 or a nine-year-old to a 55-year-old. Like that makes me sick to my stomach, almost to the degree that I can't think about it. Or it's Um, too much. Yeah. It's it's too too much. You know, I have students in my school that are in dangerous situations at home and that's not right. You know? Mm -hmm. So I'm really aware that uh, that's a sharp, sharp opposition to being able to say things are good and well and going fine. And knowing that generally speaking, that is not the case for a lot of people. And what I want to make sure that I emphasize is that the work that you're doing is good. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I'm always open to feedback. Always, (laughs) always. I don't think I have it all figured out, you know? Yeah. That's why it's the work and you got to keep yeah, doing it's it. It's the work. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. No worries. I am so pleased that you're willing to spend time talking about this with me today. I'm so pleased you invited me. I, what an honor. I want to thank Nicole for her thoughts today and for her active dedication to and work for the young people in her school and community. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. Next week, we will hear from Natalie Murray. Natalie is an expert in organizational strategy and team building, program design, and social emotional learning. We will be talking about culture. I hope you'll join us.